Well, good morning and welcome to Life Church. You guys excited to be at church this morning? Yes. This side's a little more excited than this side, I'm just telling you. But if you have your Bibles, open up to Psalm chapter 13. We'll get there in just a moment. But we are in this series called Songs of Summer. And so we're looking at the book of Psalms. And again, there's 150 Psalms. We're not going to go through all of them, but we are going to hit some highlights throughout the book of Psalms this summer. And so uh, have you ever had a difficult time getting a hold of somebody before, okay? Nothing more frustrating than trying to get a hold of somebody when you really need to get a hold of somebody. Now, I will say that over the last 20 years, it's become exceedingly difficult to struggle getting a hold of somebody. I mean, there's so many different ways. But how many remember the good old days before cell phones where, you know, you're like, okay, I'm right in the middle, like half my life was pre-cell phone and half my life was post-cell phone, if that gives you any indication of how old I am. But uh, my entire, all the way through high school and partway through college, didn't have a cell phone, thought it was dumb. Why would you want to be able to get a hold of somebody whenever you want? Text messaging just sounded ridiculous to me. Like, why, why not just call or, you know, I just, I just don't know if I want to talk to somebody that badly, right? Like, I, that's, that was what was going through my head. And, uh, and so, but I remember as a kid, your parents would drop you off somewhere, they give you a quarter, and then it got up to 35 cents somewhere in there, I don't know, like 2,098, not some, I don't know. But they give you a quarter and say, just call when you're done, we'll come get you. And I remember having to like, that was very stressful because if that answer machine picks up, your quarter's gone, right? So you had to know, how many of you remember how many rings your house had as a kid? So we were a four ring house on that. Some of you guys don't have a clue what I'm talking about. On the fourth ring, it went to answering machine. So I better hang up before that fourth ring so I get my quarter back and I can try again. And then if you really got savvy later in life, like in high school, you realize I could make a collect call and when they asked me my name, I could just say, Mom, pick, come pick me up, like real quick. And then they would deny the collect call. You guys never figured that one out or whatever? Okay, yeah, yeah. Getting a hold of people used to be a, a, a struggle. I mean, you'll watch episodes of like, you know, like Seinfeld or whatever, where it's like those episodes would never take place today because the premise is based off of not being able to get a hold of each other. Uh, there was a time, it was, a, it was 13, 14 years ago, so it's when cell phones were around, but coverage wasn't great. It's, it was real spotty. And so uh, as a staff, we decided, Pastor Aaron and I concocted an idea uh, that should have been shot down. Um, uh, it, it should never have happened. We decided we were going to go on a retreat as a staff called the Play and Pray Retreat. And there's a few of you, if, you're, if you've been around for a long time, you've probably heard bits and pieces of this story. Uh, but we decided we're going to go camping in the, in the middle of nowhere, in in middle of Wisconsin, like Black River Falls, somewhere in that area. And we're going to go camping, and we're going to rent uh, four-wheelers, like intense camping, and four-wheelers and canoeing. Our staff is not really an outdoor, we're kind of avid indoorsmen, you know, like... <laughs> It, it didn't really match, but it, it's kind of what, I'm like, it'll be ironic and fun. It'll be funny to see Elisha Garcia uh, go camping for, if you guys know Elisha. It's going to be fun. So we had, we're all ready, but we rent these, these ATVs. We rent them and we realize there's only a couple of us that have ever even rode a four-wheeler before. This is going to be interesting. And so 
We uh, break up into two groups. We have one group that's like the fast group, the crazy group. Of course, I signed up to be on the crazy group uh, with Jay Snow, if you guys remember Jay. Uh, Jay was a little nuts. He was a little adrenaline junkie. And so he, uh, he led the way on the fast group, and then there was the slow group over here that just kind of took their time and probably the smart thing to do. So we're going through the woods just going crazy. I mean, we were going way too fast, like 40 miles per hour through the woods type of a thing, like not safe whatsoever. And every once in a while, every few miles, we would stop. Jay would stop so that everyone could catch up, and then we would go on together. Well, this one particular stop was on a gravel road, and dust just flew up everywhere. I was right behind Jay, and I could barely see him. And so I stopped real quick. I'm like, Jay, Jay, we can't, like, we got to go forward. If people are going to, and then... Five four-wheelers piled up. I mean, going 30 to 40 miles per hour. Pastor Aaron goes flying into the woods. Uh, one of our kids' pastors uh, was unconscious and slumped over. I literally thought he may be dead. Like, I, I, I didn't know. He was right behind me. Um, our youth pastor's in the corner trying to just make sure his hair's still, in, you know, in place. <laughs> we have another guy who has a four-wheeler on top of him. Uh, we have a, a lady who is on the ground yelling, my back, my back, and can't move. And we realize in that moment, this is bad. Like, this is really bad. And so immediately we're like, okay, we got to call 911. We got to figure out. We can't get any signal whatsoever. And we're like miles from a building. We're in the middle of a state park. We can't, or some county, I don't even know what it was. It was just wilderness, right? And so in the middle of woods, can't get a hold of anyone. And so we're like wandering through the woods. We're trying to like, you know, you're done that trying to, where's the pinnacle of like, where, where am I going to get cell phone coverage? And finally, I'll save you some suspense. It ended up being that uh, one person had a concussion and one person had a separated shoulder. That was the extent of it. We did total two four-wheelers. And so the board said we are never allowed to rent four-wheelers again. <laughs> I'm just kidding. They didn't say that, but they should say that. We're, we, and we never have since then. But we finally got a hold of uh, 911. They came out. There was an ambulance that was able to get back to where we were, uh, took a couple people with them. Um, and, and then we had to get word to the other group. And we, it, we were hours you know, from seeing each other. We were 45 miles away from where we were camping at this point, <laughs> like crazy. And we, um, there's, there's so many other tentacles to that story, but it was so frustrating not being able to get a hold of anyone when you really need to get a hold of somebody. And I tell you that story because as I read Psalm 13, David is desperate to hear from God. David is desperate to get, a, to get God's attention. David feels unseen. He feels unheard. He feels like, God, you see what, like what I'm going through right now, and it feels like you are not responding whatsoever. Now, a couple things that I think are important to understand about the book of Psalms uh, that kind of set the context. One, and, and Pastor Dale a couple weeks ago mentioned this, but he said uh, that Psalms are songs. I know that that's really basic, but they were meant to be sung. There's, they're deeply emotional, poetic, uh, but they're also not necessarily meant to be these deep doctrinal statements. They're meant to, to describe the relationship between God and man. Uh, the second thing that's important is that these are not just man's words, these are God's words. And there's many times throughout scripture where that is a, it, it can feel like a contradiction, but it's a both and. Yes, these are David's words to God. 
These are David's words crying out to God, showing his frustration with God even, showing his, uh, just what he's going through, his anguish. But the Bible also says that all scripture is God-breathed. It's all given by God. It also, specifically about the book of Psalms, Jesus quotes Psalm 110 uh, in Mark 12, 36, and he starts by saying, David himself speaking by the Holy Spirit, and then he goes on to cite uh, Psalm 110. David was not just speaking his own words. So they're not just descriptive of a man 3,000 years ago. They're prescriptive for us here and now. These are God's words as well. Psalm 13 is called a psalm of lament. And it sounds familiar to a lot of other psalms because a third of the psalms were psalms of lament. And they had a very specific pattern. And we're going to kind of go through it today. Uh, but the, the purpose of a lament wasn't just to tell God all your frustrations. The purpose of a lament was by the end of the lament, it built up faith and confidence in who God is. It's a divinely given invitation for us to pour out our fears, our frustrations, our sorrows for the purpose of helping us renew our confidence in God. It's not just an example of, of David doubting God or questioning God. It's, it's an example of David being honest with God. And by the end of it, as is the case with every psalm of lament, his faith is built up once again. And so let's read it together. It's, it's six verses. It's not long, but Psalm 13. It says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. And again, thinking of this as a song, this is where the, the music would shift a little bit in verse 5. Then he says this, But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. David cries out to God and he asks the question, how long will you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? How, literally saying, how long will you turn your back on me and hide your face from me? I feel completely alone like God has completely forgotten about me. I don't know if you've ever felt like that before, but you're in good company. David, the, the man after God's own heart, as scripture would say, felt that way often. There's many psalms where he feels that way. Now, there are some biblical reasons why we might feel that way, why we may, may not feel this closeness to God, why we may feel like God is not answering us or he's distant. Sometimes it's that we're distracted. I mean, you read through the story of Mary and Martha in the New Testament, and Mary is right there at the feet of Jesus, and Martha is off, you know, doing things. She's busy. Jesus is right there, and he's saying, hey, I'm, I'm right in front of you, but you're, off, you're distracted. There's often times where we can just get distracted. I can be guilty of that very often. I got you know, things to do, schedules to keep, where I'm just distracted, and God is trying to speak to me. So there's times where it's distractions. There's times where it's a hardened heart. The Bible talks about this many places. Matthew 13, 15 says, For the people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. There are times where there's a hardened heart. There's a condition of the heart. And there's also times where it's just sin. 
The Bible talks about how sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59 verses 1 and 2 says, Listen, the Lord is not too weak to save you. He is not becoming deaf. He can hear you when you call, but there's a problem. Your sins have cut you off from God. There are times where it's a sin issue. But here in Psalm 13, I don't think any of those are going on. Uh, David shows us what to do. He, he shows us time and time again throughout the book of Psalms, every time he writes a psalm of lament, he shows us what to do when you feel that way, what to do when you feel like you're not getting answers from God. And there's a pattern that we see. The first thing is David tells God. He tells God what he's feeling. The first two verses, there's nothing else being accomplished other than David just being brutally honest with God. Now, just to give a little bit of background on David, because I think uh, many of you know the story of David, but it's a good reminder that David was anointed king when he was a boy. Uh, theologians say probably between the age of 10 to 15, somewhere in that middle school awkward phase. Can you imagine being anointed the next king of Israel, but then he has to wait 15 to 20 years? He, he was 30 when he actually became king. And he had to kind of wait and be patient. So this, this, this idea of waiting on the Lord, he had, he, that was something that he had known for many years. He became Saul's musician, the King Saul, King Saul that would invite him in to play music. He then became Saul's armor bearer. He's just slowly climbing up the ranks and getting experience. He's best friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. He ends up marrying Saul's daughter, Michael. I mean, things are, are really really going towards being king, and, he, and it's going in that direction. But then Saul gets jealous of David. The Bible says that Saul has killed his thousands, and David has his tens of thousands. That's what people were saying. So the people became very, or excuse me, Saul became very jealous of David. He became paranoid about it, so, so Saul tries to kill David multiple times. He takes his wife, Michael, he takes her away, uh, and, and David becomes a fugitive for upwards of eight years, historians believe. Eight years just wandering in the desert trying to stay away from Saul and not be killed. Now, if you've been to Israel, some of you have gone on some of the trips we've taken. We have another one in 2023 in the fall. Uh, it's, it's pretty incredible to see the area that David would have hid out in. It's, it's, I mean, think like northern Arizona, right? It's kind of barren, and there's cliffs and canyons and caves, and he would hide out in these different areas. Not a lot of vegetation. I can't imagine what they ate, but he's just on the run for eight years. And it's believed that he wrote Psalm 13 somewhere in that period of time. And he says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? David's frustrated and he's telling God about his plight. How long will you forget me? Now, I ask the question, when I see some of these questions, David asks God, I think, are, are these out of bounds? Like, is there anything that is off-putting to God about these types of of questions. There's a peculiar story in, uh, in John 11, and many of you know the story. It's a story of Lazarus. And Lazarus dies, and it, this is Mary's brother, good friends with Jesus, and Jesus is there three days later, and Mary is crying. She's distraught, and she has a similar 
line of questions for Jesus. She says something to the effect of, if you would have been here a little earlier, this would not have happened. You could have saved my brother. She's kind of, there's a bit of a confrontation there. And it's the same kind of, hey, where, where were you? Where are you? And Jesus' response is, is extremely telling. In John eleven thirty five, 35, it's the shortest verse in Scripture. It's one that if you ever have to memorize a Scripture in Sunday school, pick John eleven thirty five 35 because it just says, Jesus wept. But his response to those questions are to, were to weep with Mary, to empathize with her. He doesn't confront the questions and say, how, you know, why would you question me? Why would you question? Now, all the while knowing Jesus has the power to and eventually does raise Lazarus back to life. Like he knew that he was going to do that, being fully God and fully man, and yet he doesn't go into all this and say, just wait a second, let me show you what I'm about to do, and Mary, you're kind of being crazy. Let me just, I can, he doesn't do any of that. It says that he weeps with her. See, God empathizes with us in the middle of whatever we're going through. And I have to imagine that same God, when David asks how long, where are you, God? He empathizes with David. He doesn't try to fix all of his problems right then and there. He empathizes with him. Jesus sees you right where you are. He does have the power to eliminate any pain you may be facing, but sometimes he takes a moment. Sometimes that moment turns into years. He takes a moment and he empathizes with you. But he's not off-put by us simply asking those questions. He's not off-put by us asking him, God, where are you? In fact, he encourages us. Again, these are God's words to man. He's encouraging us. Ask those questions. He tells God, David tells God what he's thinking and feeling and what he's going through. But he doesn't stop there. And that's, that's important. He doesn't just Okay, I got that all off my chest. I'm good now. I, that feels better. He doesn't do that. He doesn't stop there. The second thing we see that David does is David asks God. He asks him for help. We see it in, in, starting in verse 3. And he gives us what it looks like to have godly petition, what it looks like to ask God for help. He says, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Again, by the way, he, he switches from just God to Lord my God in verse 3. He's becoming, it's becoming a more personal prayer. Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. He's asking God, hear my cry. Now if you've ever had a kid who's gotten injured before, you see a pattern every single time, especially the, the, the littler they are. Right when they get injured, they're kind of like, is anyone, did anyone see what happened? Like, so they're like, okay, nobody's responding as quickly, so I'm going to cry a little bit louder and louder and louder. I want to make sure I get some attention here. And it, it can be a legitimate injury. It's just usually it's their level of volume is based on the level of response they're getting. My, my, my youngest, six-year-old, he got stung by a wasp last week, and it was his first time getting stung. And I'll just tell you that. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't, I got stung last fall, and I forgot. I had gotten stung in like 10 years, and I forgot, okay, that actually does hurt a little bit. And so he's experiencing that for the first time. He doesn't know what has happened. Like, he's trying to describe, I just suddenly have the worst pain ever in my arm. I don't really know what happened. And he's not getting attention. He's not articulating what's happening. He's just like, all I'm going to do is scream louder and louder and louder until I get somebody to give me something. I don't know what's happening. But that's what David's doing here. He's saying, God, 
hear my cry. He gets louder and louder and louder. God, you're not hearing me, so I need to emphasize things a little bit more. But then he asks a question of God. He, he asks God to give light to my eyes. He says, give light to my eyes. At, at first glance, when I first read this, I thought it was what, what David is communicating is show me the way. Enlighten me. Show me the path I should go. Show me what I should do next. Give light to my eyes. Like, that's kind of how I read it. But this phrase, give light to my eyes, would literally be translated as put the light back in my eyes. He's saying lift my spirits, lift my countenance. You can tell somebody's mood. You can tell a lot about what somebody's going through by just looking them in the eyes and seeing, okay, there's something going on. I mean, you you could see this with your kids. You you know exactly. You can just tell by the look they give you kind of what's going on. And David says, you can tell. It's all over my face that I'm distraught. And he says, God, give light to my eyes, lift my spirit. God, give light to my eyes. David doesn't stop there either. He, does, he, he tells God what he's thinking and feeling. He asks God for help, but then I think the third part is the most important part. And every single lament throughout the book of Psalms ends this way. It always starts with telling God what you're feeling, asking God for help, but it always ends with trusting God. David trusts God. He ends by declaring his trust and his faith in God. Nothing in David's circumstances have changed at this point. Nothing's changed, yet he's full of faith, and he says it like this. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Even though David wallows a little bit, as he does many times throughout the book of Psalms, he never stays there. And the purpose of a a lament is to end by building our faith back up. And David specifically calls out three different things. He declares three things about God in these last two verses. He says, I will trust in your unfailing love. This word unfailing love is the Hebrew word hasad. And it means covenant love based on a promise. So it's not just love the way, again, this is one of the nuances to scripture is that there were many different words for love and we define all of them as love. It's a very different, it was covenant love based on a promise. And so David is calling out the promises of God. He's saying, hey, remember that, I'm kind of putting words in David's mouth, but I have to imagine he's thinking, God, remember that time that you said I was going to be the next king of Israel, you promised, and now the, the current king is trying to kill me, and it kind of feels like maybe your promise isn't going to come true. I remind you of what you said. I remind you of your promises. There's times where the most spiritual thing that we can do is simply remind God of the promises that he's made. God, right now I'm, I'm facing a, a situation that it does not feel like freedom, but your word says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I ask for your spirit in this moment because that's the only way that I'm going to experience freedom. Or maybe there's physical healing that's needed for you or someone in your family, and you remind God, God, your word says it's by your stripes that we are healed, that what you did on the cross at Calvary accomplished access to healing for the here and the now. And so I declare that in Jesus' name. I have this... um, this book, I think we gave these away at an event several years ago, but it's called God's Promises for Your Every Need. 
And it just simply has uh, different topics uh, where different topics of things that you may be going through and it, it declares, here's what scripture says about that. Here are four or five scriptures on that, uh, on healing or whatever it may be. And sometimes the, the best thing that we can do is, is, is follow this model of scripture where David simply reminds God of his promises and declares his promises. He says, I'll trust in your unfailing love. My soul rejoices in your salvation. That's the second thing, your salvation. Not only has God saved us from our sin, but he saves us from the predicaments of life in the here and now. And then he says maybe the most important part, he closes this way. He says, I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. For he has been good to me. I don't know about you, but too often I forget about the goodness of God. I'll be in the middle of a circumstance that I'd rather not be in, going through a difficult season of life, and I forget about all the times where God came through. I, I forget about all the blessings that God has provided. You guys remember uh, watching David Letterman kind of in, in the heyday? I know that's a weird transition there, but David Letterman had a top 10 list. That was like his, one of his big things that he would do, and Maybe today the most spiritual thing we can do is simply make a top 10 list and say, God, here are the things that I'm most thankful for. Here are the things that I am most grateful for. Here are the times I remember in my life that you came through in a real and a mighty way. God, I re rejoice in your salvation. I'll sing praise to the Lord because he has been good to me. This past week, there were a couple different um, things going on that were, were, were families that were grieving and going through a difficult season. There's a family that I knew from when uh, we lived in River Falls before coming here. And they're actively involved in the church. Didn't have kids at the time, but since then have had kids and they have three boys. And they were on a family vacation. This was just um, 10 days ago. Not even. July 3rd. It was seven days ago. They're on vacation and they were at the hotel, and they were at the pool area, and just swimming, and the roof of the pool area collapsed. And one of their, they were able to save two of their boys, and one of their boys didn't make it out. And you just, you, you have zero, you have zero words to, like what do you say to a family going through that? What do you say in those moments? Many of you were probably here on, on Friday and we did the funeral of a man who attended Life Church for years, Dave Irwin, 60 years old, out for a run and he collapses. And there, this, this place was packed with people that he had had an impact on, but talking to the family, what do you say? What do you say in those moments? David is experiencing that type of anguish. It's not just he's having a rough day. It's my life is being put in jeopardy every single day. People are actively trying to kill me. My wife's been taken away. I can't talk to my best friend. I, I never, God, you promised this, but I don't know where this promise is headed because it feels like it's not going to come true. It's just, it's all bad news. Psalm 13 was written earlier in David's life. 
But while in the book of Psalms is not written chronologically, it's split up by sections, but it's in Psalm 23, that's a psalm that was written towards the end of David's life, after he's become king, after he's been, you know, seen these promises fulfilled, after he's been through quite a bit. And you guys know this psalm really well, but it's a different tone altogether. David writes this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And that's the key there, for you are with me. David is confident that God is with him. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That sounds a little different than Psalm 13. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know what it is that you may be facing today, but I'm, I'm confident that there's a lot of people in this room that are walking through dark valleys right now. You're going through a tough season. And maybe you've cried out to God time and time again, and you feel like David, like, God, where are you? Where are you in this? Feels like you're completely silent right now. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. And I don't feel, I don't feel you right now. David would say, I believe if he were standing here today, he would say, first of all, I know what you're going through. I know what you're feeling. But let me tell you what I did every single time. Every single time, time and time again, I'd tell God exactly what I'm thinking and feeling. I'd tell him, I'd just be honest with him. I'd ask him to put the light back into my eyes. I'd ask him for help. I'd ask him to give me the peace that passes all understanding. Because I don't have a lot of understanding right now. I need peace that surpasses that understanding. But then I would declare the promises of God. I would declare who he is. I would declare the times that he has been faithful. I would thank him for the things that he has done and I would trust him with the rest. I think that's what David would tell us today. That's the pattern he tells us all throughout the book of Psalms. God is with you. God is with you. I know that there's not a lot of words I can say in this moment that if you are going through a dark valley that can completely alter the circumstance. And maybe today the objective is not to alter the circumstance. Maybe the objective is to trust in God and to declare our faith and hope and trust in who God is. There's a portion in, I don't have it open, but in 1 Samuel, or excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter 7, I think it is, where David uh, is now become king. And uh, God promises David all the things that he's asking for in Psalm 13, like my enemies are around me, all these things. And God makes a covenant with David and just says, I got you and I will protect you. Your enemies will not overcome you. I mean, it may have been 20, 30 years after Psalm 13 that God makes this promise to David. He, he waits 20, 30 years without having full clarity 
God, where are you on this? Tell God what you're feeling. Ask him for his help. But then the key, trust him with the rest. Trust him with the rest. Would you pray with me today? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the words of David that encourage us us 3,000 years later. That some of the same struggles that humanity has dealt with for thousands of years, we deal with today. But God, I pray right now that not only would we tell you what's going on and be brutally honest with you and ask you for your help, but today that we would declare our faith and trust in you. Now, we may walk out of this room not having any more answers than when we came into this room, but we can choose to trust in your unfailing love. We can choose to rejoice in your salvation. We can choose to sing songs of praise because you have been good to us. I pray that that would always be our response in those moments, that we would always follow that model of godly lament and petition. We thank you for it. It's in your name we pray. Amen.